This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Monday means EJ Raddick from NHL Now, Monday through Friday on the NHL Network, and every Monday here on Game Misconduct. How are you, buddy? I'm good, Donnie. How are you? Not too bad. Not as good as you. You're in Toronto for the Hall of Fame, something I've always wanted to do. It's like a bucket list thing for me. I just never got a chance to go out there. But uh, just tell me what it's like. Uh, It should be a big night tonight. Just They always do it right for these uh, Hall of Fame inductees. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mention that because I've never been here for Hall of Fame induction night before. So this is my first time. It's one of the few things I would say, maybe the last thing that uh, in covering hockey that I haven't uh, been at or covered in some way. So uh, it's uh, it's exciting. It's a great class. I mean, when you think of Korea and Solani, it's so fitting that they go into the Hall of Fame together uh, with the, the great duo that they were in Anaheim for many, many years. And so sad that Paul Korea was injured uh, and suffered the injuries he did and, and uh, shortened his career. But just a fabulous player. When you think about it, uh, at the University of Maine, as a true freshman, he had 100 points. And what's that, a 40-game schedule? I mean, uh, yeah. one of the well, maybe the greatest college hockey season ever by one player. And uh, and then you've got Dave Andrichuk, who just uh, played and played and played and battled in front of the net in a different era of, of, of the sport and uh, scored over 600 goals. And Mark Recchi, uh again, the same thing, just uh, played in, through many, many years and was a Stanley Cup winner with three different teams, which uh, is not an accident. Uh, so... Uh, you know, then and then you have uh, Danielle Goyette as a, one of the great women's hockey players from Canada, uh, and several others. And obviously, from a media standpoint, Dave Strader, the late Dave Strader, is going to be uh, honored, and Cam Cole as well. So uh, it's a very, very uh, it's an exciting class to be here. Uh, seeing them honored, uh, very well-deserving. Oh, very cool. So we got uh, that to watch out for on the NHL Network. Uh, plenty of places to begin, EJ. I guess we'll start with, uh, I guess Gary Bettman had uh, an interview today um, talking about just the state of the National Hockey League and where it is, but uh, it seemed like a lot of conversation was around not going to the Winter Olympics yeah. coming up in February. And he doesn't regret the decision at all. Many people are up in arms about it, EJ. I never really, I don't remember exactly if we had a chance to talk about this on Game Misconduct. I know we've talked about it in other venues and other places and platforms. But just to refresh our listeners, uh, where do you stand on it? Are you okay with the NHL not going? I'm actually fine with the NHL not going to this particular Olympics uh, in South Korea. Uh, I think uh, the owners... uh, you know, I, I can completely see their point with uh, not going. Um, there's a lot at risk. They shut down their season uh, at a time that's really optimum for them, really, when you think about it, right after the Super Bowl in that window in February is a great time uh, for hockey and a great time for business, so to speak. It's winter still, and uh, there's many, many teams in the mix, and everybody's talking about the trade deadline, and it's uh, really a big time of the season. So, yeah. Uh, You know, if I'm going to shut down my league, my business, to go play in the Olympics, I want a lot more from the Olympic Committee than just a thank you. Um, The NHL doesn't get a ton in return, really. I mean, some will say, well, that's great exposure. And it is is great exposure on a world stage. But we've seen this now for for many years in in different Olympics. I think it really uh, really only resonates uh, when – 
first and foremost, the Olympics are in a North American venue, whether it be Salt Lake in 02 or Vancouver in 2010. And uh, Team USA, particularly in, you know, from our standpoint here in the U.S., when Team USA has a good Olympics. So, I mean, other than that, when you think about Sochi and you think about, uh, you know, what happened in, in Italy in 2006, I mean, I don't think there was a great resonance of, uh, of excitement in North America over those particular Olympics because Team USA didn't play very well or didn't go very far. So, um, right. So, I mean, for me, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I know a lot of the players do want it. The great players want to participate. The players in the league that aren't going to be Olympians like the idea of having some time off in, in that time of year, which I understand. And I think if it means uh, that much to the players, they should probably try to add it to their list of things to negotiate uh, in the collective bargaining agreement. But uh, I think from a, from a league standpoint, to shut down at that time of year when you don't get a lot in return in terms of uh, the ability to – uh, control the product in some way, I can understand why they don't want to do it. So <sighs> that's where it's at. And the commissioner was speaking at a conference up here, a big media conference up here in Toronto uh, today. And I do think that, uh, you know, he talked about the idea of, you know, he doesn't know if they'll ever go back to the Olympics, but I think that's a little bit of posturing because in 2022, sure. with the Olympics scheduled to be in Beijing, I think that's kind of a different conversation. And a conversation that will take place over several years I think it's really hard to speculate right now what's going to happen then. Well, uh, I thought what really accentuated it for me today, EJ, was when he said that they do not have the rights to the Crosby Golden Goal. Like That's not something yeah. the NHL can use to market, unless they want to use there a still go. photograph of it. You know, so yeah. this is – you could make the case that it's the greatest hockey moment in the last 25 years, and the NHL cannot benefit from it with any merchandise, with oh. any video, with any anything at all. So so there's a perfect example. That's something that happened in Vancouver. That's something that happened in yeah. North America on a Sunday afternoon with the world watching and the NHL can't benefit from it. And I get into an argument with a guy here at work who's a, you know, a, a hockey fan, but it's certainly not his first sport. So de- so devastated about the NHLers not playing in the Olympics. And I said, well, were you planning on staying up until 1 o'clock in the morning to watch these games? Because that's when they're going to be played. I remember Nagano in 98. I was working overnight at the fan. Some of the greatest hockey I ever saw, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. So stop, people. I mean, you can't, and you can't, oh, we'll just, we'll delay it. Do you realize 1980 would never have really been appreciated had social media been around in 1980? Everybody would have known the result. When they showed it on television, you can't tape delay these things anymore, EJ. So explain to me how this is benefiting the league and shutting down for 16 games. All right, there's some negatives. NBC's not going to show any hockey for 16 days. But to me, that's a small price to pay. Yeah, well, they are going to show hockey. It's just going to be in the Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I'm just saying NHL hockey. hockey. Yeah, it's not going to be NHL hockey. But, you know, listen, that's people in their markets have more than enough access to their games and uh, so I don't, you know, nobody's going to miss out too much on that for that short window of time. Uh, you know, again, I just think that the league, uh, you know, it's got to be a better deal for the NHL and for the, uh, you know, for everybody involved. And you make a great point. I mean, that's something so simple that you don't have the rights to show something like that or to benefit from it. And these are the NHL players. So, um, and I think we've seen over the years to the Olympics, it's not exactly uh you know, as uh, white as the driven snow in terms of uh, no. the way that that's operated. So, uh, you know, like I said, for me, and this is my opinion, 
I don't have a big issue with not playing in the Olympics uh, in 2018. I think they come and they go, so to speak. Uh, you know, the tournament happens and it's great, and then we move on and we get to the, get ready to come down the stretch and get to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I would say most of the time people have much more of a memory of the Stanley Cup playoffs than they do of what happened in the Olympics. So, uh, you know, again, just my opinion. I like it when it happens. But uh, yeah. I think from a business standpoint, the National Hockey League should. You know, I think it should. It's only fair that they get more out of this arrangement than, because they are shutting down their business at a very prime time. They're not being asked to shut down their business in October. They're being asked to shut down their business in a great window in uh, February. And uh, I can certainly understand the owner's perspective. And like I said, I think if the players really, really want it, then I think they have to push forward in the collective bargaining agreement and make it, and that means giving something up to get that. And I don't that's know what right. they're prepared to give up to get it. So that's just a, that's just that's just the way I how I feel about it. All right, uh, a few quick hits before we get to the tweets. I got to see Edmonton okay. live on Saturday and talked to everybody around that broadcast. Okay, and nobody knows the team I think better than the guys that are around the team all the time. And yeah. they're just not happy with Edmonton's play. And some of the things that I were able to garner from pe- talking to people, their 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 wingers are too slow, um, and yeah. they're, they get nothing out of their defense, zero. And yeah. that's a problem. I mean, going into the game Saturday, Kevin Shattenkirk had 16 points. The six defensemen combined for Edmonton uh, in that game had 16 points. So those yeah. were two of the things, and... Patrick Maroon certainly has been a problem on that line. Maybe Poole Arvey is somebody that can maybe play a wing with Dreisaitl and McDavid, but those problems run pretty deep in Edmonton, and I'm not 100% sure that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you know, when I look at them, I got to see them against the Devils on uh, Thursday night. I just went and sat in the crowd, and I, I can, I mean, I think uh, I'm in full agreement with that assessment of that team. Um, you know, it's funny. I heard the phrase, I've heard the phrase a lot, and you might have heard it as like, you know, they really miss Andre Sequeira. They can't wait for him to get back, right? And, like, nothing against Andre Sequeira, but, I mean, when people are saying that, doesn't that, doesn't that speak volumes about where your group of defensemen is, that you're really waiting right. for Andre Sequeira to get back? I mean, he's a nice player, but, I mean, it's not like Bobby Orr is coming back to the lineup. So, uh, they look slow uh, outside of McDavid and Dreisaitl, who are obviously uh, magnificent to watch and, you know, and terrific, terrific players, and they're going to be great for a long time. Uh, you know, this team has got some holes and, you know, they brought in Ryan Strong, for example, that hasn't worked out for them so far. Um, you know, I think that Peter Shirley has got some work to do and, you know, let's face it. It's still early in the game there with that group. So there's, you, you sure. figured there'd be work to do, but this was a team that made a good run last year and nearly made the final four. Uh, you just expected them to be able to pick up a little bit where they left off and it just hasn't been the case so uh, they've got some work to do there and i will i'll get, i'll tell you right now here in november unless something changes i'll be real surprised if they make the playoffs because uh, you know they've already put themselves behind yeah. the eight ball they got to get they got to get going and get some wins and uh you know it's a long season but they put themselves in a tough spot yeah but uh mcdavid still is a lot of fun to watch, and Dreisaitl is oh, emerging as a really good player yeah. in this league too. It just they're top heavy. I think they're a lot like Dallas. I mean, they're getting production yeah. from you know one line. They're not getting very much other places, and that's going to come uh, back to haunt you. Um, New Jersey, God, it, I, I'm not sure how real this is. Last year, 
they were a playoff team in American Thanksgiving, and we've talked about this yeah. for years, EJ, that that's always like a yeah. line of demarcation, but it still fell apart yeah. for them. Is it more sustainable this year, the way they're winning games? Do you believe that they're a legitimate contender in these? Yeah, I think they're a better. I think they're a way better team than they were last year. Now, whether it's sustainable over time, it's hard to say because, boy, the Eastern Conference is a bear. I mean, it is. It is a bear. The Devils have gotten off to a great start, and still, all those teams in the Metropolitan. I think they're separated. I think six of them are separated by six points, or eight, seven of them. Yeah. I mean, so you know, there's there's not a lot of difference. So, but uh, but you know what? The, the good news for the Devils is they're moving absolutely moving in the right direction. They want to be a fast team. That's you know, that, that's what they want to be under John Hines and Ray Shiro, and they've added those type of players to the mix. You can see Taylor Hall has taken more of a, a piece of this uh, of this team this year. Uh, Nico Heischer has been an absolute, uh, you know, right number one overall pick, and, you know, he's going to continue to grow and get better as a player. Will Butcher was a great signing as a college free agent. Um you know, Jasper Brad has come in and played really well and has fit into what they want to do. I mean, they've created an identity of who they want to be, and it's going to take time for all that stuff to mature. But when you watch the, where they are, they're on the right track. They, they want to be fast, and that's they brought in those type of players. And, you know, in terms of the long haul, I don't know how, how deep this group is right now. So if you start getting some injuries, that's, uh, you know, an issue. I think when Kyle Palmieri was out, for an example, I mean, that really hurts them. He's been back, and, you know, all of a sudden they have a little bit more jump again. So time will tell over the course of the year, but they've got a good goalie. They've got, uh, you know, uh, a team that plays the way they want to play, which is fast. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I think they have trouble against the teams that are a little bit more needy. You know, like I think like a Washington and an Edmonton, for example, in, in recent games that I've seen play against the Devils, they can get in below the dots and bog down the Devils. D. The Devils never have a big defense. And all of a sudden, that slows down that speed game. And right. I think those are kind of teams that match up pretty well against the Devils. But, uh, you know, they've been fun to watch. And, uh, you know, if I'm a Devils fan right now, I'm excited because, you know what, they've made the turn out of those great, the great Lamarillo years, the Bordeaux years, you know, Stevens, Danico, Niedermeyer. You know, they made the tour out of a turn out of a great, you know, two decades of hockey and are now kind of trending back in the other direction again after kind of bottoming out. So, yeah. uh, you know, this is this is great news for the Devils. We'll see how the season goes. I get a lot of tweets from concerned Blackhawk fans. Uh, should they be concerned? Yeah. yeah, I think they should be concerned. Uh, I mean, let's face it. Uh, you know, times, are, times change. This has been a, a team that's had a great run for a decade. Uh, they've won three Stanley Cups. Um, the core there is still a very good player, but again, they played a lot of hockey in that time. I mean, uh, Taze, Kane, Keith, Seabrook, uh, you know, that's been a great, great core there. Um, they, they moved, uh, Panarin out. They brought Saad back. They, uh, you know, they made some changes around their roster, but you know, one of the things I think that has hurt them too, and maybe, you know, people forget about it because he was an older player, but Marion Hosa's departure, uh, due to his illness and his issues, uh, you know, he's right. a steadying influence. And even at his age, he still is a great player and a great two-way player. And you can plug him in, in a lot of areas. And I think, you know, between him and Nick Jalmerson, that was, uh, those were two steady influences on that group. They're working a lot of younger players in. Um, so I think there's going to be more peaks and valleys for this group than maybe Chicago Blackhawks fans have been used to in the past 10 or 12 years. But, uh, 
you know, I still think on any given night they're a factor. I think that, you know, I see them more kind of as a bubble team now in the Western Conference. Um, you know, I think they're, they're kind of like the Rangers in that regard. The Rangers have had a great run. They haven't won the Stanley Cup, but they've been to a final. They've been to an Eastern Conference final. They've had a lot of playoff series. And they're kind of transitioning into a, a different group here. And they're kind of a bubble team and I think a tougher conference. But, uh, you know, when you look in the Central Division right now, I mean, with the trade that Nashville made, I think they're, they're really good. St. Louis is really strong this year. Yeah. And the Winnipeg Jets are finally living up to the reputation. So I think those three are probably the best three teams in the Central Division right now. So if you think about that, that means Chicago's in the 4-5 area with Dallas. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be a struggle. So I think, yeah, there's reason to be concerned. But uh, – you know, Joel Quenville is a great coach. It's a great organization there. They have really high-end guys that have won before. And, uh, you know, they're just going to need those younger players to step up and, and to be uh, part, of the, part of the solution and figure out how, what it takes to win on a nightly basis. All right, let's read some tweets before we let you go, EJ. And James says, big bounce back for the Islanders moving forward. With Islander, which Islander player has been a standout other than JT? Well, how about Josh Bailey? I mean, he's been great with uh, with Lee and Tavares on that top line. Um, you know, uh, he's been around the Islanders. I think he's the longest tenured Islander, Josh Bailey. Mm. And you know, he was a, he was a high draft pick, and you know, he he would never really became this great player. But uh, you know, he's been a real good player and a real good fit with Anders Lee there. So, I mean, he's somebody that probably over the years hasn't you know, gotten a lot of it, as much attention as maybe he deserved. He got called up, you know, he got a first round draft pick and he's right into the mix with the Islanders. And he, he went through some tough years there and, you know, you probably get into some bad habits and there's a lot of pressure on players in that regard when they're high draft picks and tough situations. So uh, he's gone through a lot during his time with the Islanders and he's kind of come out on the other end and he's been a real good compliment to Tavares and Lee. So he's been someone that's been a real good player so far for them. All right, George asks, uh, Kadri has really stepped up with Matthews out, putting up points and playing a shutdown role. What is his reputation like around the league? Can he win a Selkie one day? Uh, I think his reputation around the league is that he gets under people's skin, uh, you know, and, but he's a good player. And, uh, you know, he was another guy who was a high draft pick. I think he's benefited from the fact that the Toronto Maple Leafs have uh, gotten – Austin Matthews, and they've gotten some of these other high-end young players, and they can put him in a situation where, uh, you know, he can have a defined role. I think Mike Grabcock has wanted to use him as kind of that shutdown defensive center that also has some offensive skill to his game. So uh, as the Toronto Maple Leafs continue to climb uh, amongst the, uh, you know, in the standings and in the, in the eyes of the people who are voting, the Professional Hockey Writers Association, perhaps uh, he's in Toronto, so it doesn't get any bigger a stage than that. Um, you know, he'll get some, I think, attention if he continues to play well, and they play well. But that award, when you think about it, has, has trended towards the higher-end player, you know, when I when that award first came into being, it was kind of a way to award to give an award to Bob Gainey, who was a yeah. great defensive forward of his era, and he won many of them. And then after that, it was a like Geek Carboneau and Yuri Lettinen had his time that won it. And you know, those were the type of players that won the Selkie. And in more recent times, it's been a Pavel Datsuk's and a Patrice Bergeron's and a Jonathan Taze and those type of players, Andre Kopitar. And so, you know, when you ask the question about Cadre, you know. 
maybe Austin Matthews is someone that gets the Selkie Trophy down the road. I don't know, but uh, it's definitely been an award that is, uh, I think, the meaning of it, uh, just based on who's won it over the last uh, two decades, tells you that uh, you know it might be something that might be a little bit out of his reach, based you know if it stays the same way in the minds of the voters. And let's close it out with USA Hockey Best. Since you were discussing okay. Mount Rushmore's, how about Mount Rushmore of American-born players? His would be Madonna, Leach, Hull, and Kane. Hmm. Okay. There was, there's a lot of debate, right, with U.S. I mean, I think Chelios has to be on there. I agree. Right? Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just because of – of. Uh, of what he's done in this career. Uh, you know, I'm someone who, I, I really love Joey Mullen as someone that did what he did in that era. I know growing up, Joey Mullen and I are probably in a similar age window. And I know what it was like to try to, you know, play hockey in the New York metropolitan era in that time. And it wasn't a proliferation of rinks and programs. And Joey Mullen is, you know, from New York and played, uh, you know, <laughs> Hell's Kitchen. We all know the story. But to think that he can go on and, and play and score over 500 goals in the National Hockey League is, you know, that's one of the great stories for me. So, you know, I, I might consider Joey Mullen. I think Brian Leach probably has to be on there and Mike Bodano. I mean, there's there's a lot of good ones. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. And then do, do we have a, a, you know, a face from the 1980 Olympic team? That's part of that as well, I, you know. So well, it's a good that's one. one of those Mount Rushmore. We could argue about that for a long time <laughs> because there's a lot, there's a lot of great American players, and I don't know if there's, you know, like last week we talked about the top players of all time, and we were in agreement that you, you know, you you got to start with with Gretzky or Howe in any combination, and in this this discussion, I think it's wide open. I think you can. Yeah. You're probably looking at a couple of, you know, a dozen or so names that were le- legit. So, um, you know, those are a couple I would throw in there. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to go with Pat LaFontaine, you can bring his name up. Yeah. Also, if you wanted yeah. to go goalies, Tom Barrasso won a couple of Stanley Cups. He was a really good goaltender. So, yeah. that's a great conversation. We've got very yeah, intelligent does, listeners. Does Brett, does Brett Hull count? I mean, Brett Hull is Team USA, scored one of the big goals in a – you know, in the Canada Cup or World Cup uh, hockey in 96, right? And, you know, he, does he count as an American player? If you ask him, he'd say yes. So, yeah. I, <laughs> so there's we never brought up. Uh... Does. If he does, you got to think of him. He scored over 700 goals. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, it, you kind of, but there is, you know, you, but, you know, when you're the son of Bobby, uh, Bobby Hall and, and the fact that, you know, you were only born in the United States because that's where your dad happened to play. Well, you know, if he was yeah. born in Winnipeg instead of Chicago, right? I mean, I, I don't. Yeah, no, listen, I, I, I hear you. I mean, it's, uh, but I do think it's an interesting question, an interesting debate. There's a lot of great American players. I think the one thing I would say is for me, I think that you got to have Chelios. Yes. As as one of them. I mean, and I'll even throw this in you. Would you have Herb Brooks, even though he wasn't a player? Because a he had question. such an impact on, on U.S., on American hockey. So, I mean,. You can go a lot of different directions with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's and it's great to have that conversation. That's a good question. Uh, you know, good fifty question. years ago, we probably couldn't have that conversation. Now we certainly no, can have right. a legitimate, you know, conversation about it. You're e- EJ, right. I know you're busy up there in Toronto. Have a ball today, man. Enjoy it, and we'll talk Thank to you next you, week. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you friend. so much. Later.
Bye-bye. All right, that's the great E.J. Raddick. Let him go. He's got a lot of work today with the uh, uh, Hall of Fame ceremonies in Toronto. I've wanted to get up there so many different times. Um, that's one of the bucket list things for me to be able to go. They put on such a great show. It's a great weekend of hockey, and then it culminates into tonight uh, with the ceremonies and the induction. So congratulations to the inductees, uh, certainly Solani, Korea, Anderchuk, all in my wheelhouse of watching hockey over the last you know, 20, 30 years or so. Uh, with those players, and uh, tremendous to see those guys go into the Hall of Fame. I wanted to close it out with a few more of your tweets, and I did promise Jake that I would think about his question over the weekend. Let me read the question again. Hi, Don. If you had to put an all-time NHL starting lineup together, left wing, center, right wing, lefty, righty, and a goaltender, who would it be? Well, to break it down left and right on D, um, I didn't go that fine. I'll just get two uh, defensemen in my conversation. Well, Wayne Gretzky's my center. I don't think there's any question about that. And I can put Gordy Howe at right wing, and I'd be in great shape there. Uh, left wing, but we were just talking about Bobby uh, Hull would be my left wing. I don't think you can go wrong with those three. Uh, Bobby Orr is going to be one of my defensemen. And my other defenseman is probably going to be Nicholas Lidstrom. I, I think that those two bridge the gap of the two greatest defensemen. Uh, one I didn't get a chance to see because he was retired pretty much before I was understanding what hockey was about. Uh, caught the little tail end of his career, but didn't certainly see him in his prime. And then, of course, Nicholas Lidstrom, uh, just a tremendous. And when you think about the, the, the winner of the Norris Trophy, when Orr was around, it was almost always him. And when Nicholas Lidstrom was around, it was almost always him winning that award. So that would be it. And my goaltender would be Patrick Waugh. I think pound for pound, from a money standpoint, from a statistical standpoint, you can't go wrong with Patrick Waugh. So we've got a little old, little new. I don't have anybody that recent. I guess the most recent player that I have on the list would be uh, Nicholas Lidstrom. So all of the players that I have currently are retired, but uh, I did put some thought into it. So uh, we go from there. Uh, Brett Lutstick says, no back problem this year for Bushnevich. Has been great so far. I'm heading to Chicago for the game Wednesday. Hope for seven in a row. And the Rangers have done a great job winning the six in a row. And Bushnevich has been right in the middle of that six-game winning streak. And certainly that's the reason why they are in the situation that they're in. And again, congratulations to the Devils putting together back-to-back wins after uh, struggling a little bit there. And last night, just an amazing 7-5 win over the Blackhawks to be able to get Miles Wood to pick up a hat trick is amazing but Gibbons has been big right he's got eight goals and we talked about that with Vancouver with Dorset scoring goals that when you're able to get production from an area that you really didn't consider that's always pretty big uh Yehuda wants to know who do you see uh, pulling away with the Metropolitan Division this tight race it's a great question I mean I still think pound for pound the best team is Pittsburgh so if I had to think of a team to put it together it would probably be them. You know, the Rangers, it's taken the six-game winning streak to put them back into the conversation, and they've got a tough schedule coming up here. Chicago on Wednesday, in Chicago, in Columbus on Friday, then home against the Ottawa Senators. First time they'll see them since being eliminated from the playoffs last year. So uh, that should be an interesting week for them. Brian wants to know, Gravner scored his fourth empty net goal on Saturday. Any idea Oh, why the single season record, or what the season sing, uh, single uh, record is. I'll try to find that out for you. I can't imagine that that's easily easy to find, but I will try to put it together and see if we can uh, come up with that for you. And, and a very interesting um, tweet from Jason. Probert Belak Bugard, I think this is the reason the enforcer role is all but gone, not because of rule changes or style of play. 
I can't say that that's not partially the reason, Jason, but I do think that you are wrong in discounting the style of play because what we've seen here since the lockout, it's been more wide open. The elimination of the red line allows for more crisp passing, more speed. You see that that's happening. And having someone with a lack of skill on your team, you just can't afford to do it. I mean, you want to roll four lines in this league. You want to be able to have speed. And does it make sense to have a guy like a Tanner Glass who's who's a nice player that can play a little bit, but when you get into a tight game, you're not putting your fourth line on the ice because you cannot afford to have a guy that's maybe a little bit slow as far as foot speed is concerned just because of the possibility of there being some sort of a fight or physicality. Uh, the physicality has really changed in this league. I've called 10 Ranger games this year. Of the 18 games that they've done, I've done the play-by-play for 10 of them. I've been at all of them except the Tampa game, uh, and I've called 10 of the 18. I've yet to call a fight. I've yet to call a big, bruising hit. There's some physicality, but really, can you afford to have any of the guys that you mentioned? Now, now Probert scored 30 goals in the league, but Belak, Bugard, uh, you go back to Donald Brashear, Tanner Glass. I mean, the guys that could drop the gloves and fight, those are guys that will score the odd goal here or there. But what ends up happening, they score, they play five, six minutes a night, which means their, their, their fourth line is nailed to the bench. The league doesn't work that way anymore. A uh, guy says, Rangers, a six-game winning streak right back uh, in the thick of things. Do you and EJ think that the Rangers played a semi-trap game against Edmonton? Kind of looked like that way to me. Can this become a trend in the NHL with all of the teams playing with speed? I, I called that game. I didn't get the sense of like, really a trap. I mean, clearly when Dreisaitl and McDavid are on the ice, you've got to make sure you've got your top pairing and you find a way to shut them down. But... Uh, I think that Edmonton just is not as advertised. Uh, you've got speed up the middle, but the wings are a little slower. I don't like Patrick Maroon on that line. That kind of mucks things up for Edmonton. It was a day game, so that kind of makes both teams seem a little bit lethargic. Um, I'm interested to see them in Edmonton a little bit later on this season. They're going to be out there in March. Maybe the Oilers will be better by then and we'll get a better sense. But in calling Ranger-Oiler games before, even before McDavid, it was always very much... Um, a, a wide open type of style, just not a lot of finish to the game. As uh, last uh, on Saturday, that was uh, not the case. Um, a little bit more finish in that game, but it, I think the one o'clock start kind of mucked things up a little bit. But I, I'm, I tell you, I talked to those guys with Edmonton, um, the, the television crew, the radio crew. Uh, Jack Michaels is a guy that I consider a friend, and they're they're pretty much down on this team right now and it's hard not to this isn't this does not look like a playoff team to me at all they did a good job getting the overtime wins against the Islanders the Devils and squeezing a point out of Washington last night but overall it has not been a good start to the season they only have six wins on the year forever th asks the age-old question so the nhl adapt a new point system to make regular season games near the end of the season more exciting three points regulation win two points overtime and shootout We've gotten to this conversation before, and the problem with all that is, is that, you know, I don't, you're still changing the value of a win. So I'll give you an example. You look like one of the best teams in the NHL is the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? So let's say you're the worst, you're, you're the Arizona Coyotes. You're the worst team in the league. You go to Tampa to play the Lightning, and you win that game in overtime. I mean, that's amazing. You just beat the best team in the NHL, and you beat them in overtime. It's only worth two points. But the Tampa Bay Lightning play Arizona and win the game in regulation against the worst team in the league, 
they get three? Does it seem fair that because they beat them in 60 minutes, it's worth more than beating them in 65 when the worst team in the league going into Tampa? Why would you want to grade wins now that there's less value to an overtime win than a regulation win? And, boy, that changes the point system, right? I mean, we just take the history of the NHL's point system and throw it out the window, which I guess we kind of did with the sharing a point going into overtime. But, boy, the point totals will be pretty high. Um, I'm not sure you want to do that. I get what you're saying because you do want to see a little bit more excitement. You do see sometimes ice capades in the last couple of minutes, especially late in the season when a team is desperate for points. They don't want to make a mistake and come away with nothing. They'll take the one. So I get what you're saying. And the reason the reason they went to a point in overtime was because they felt that overtime was that way, that there were teams just playing for the point and making that five-minute overtime less exciting. That's less of a problem because now they're going for the extra point, and a three-on-three has made it just spectacular hockey. So I do understand that the end of regulations changed a little bit, but I'm not sure that I've seen the play be downgraded that much to where I feel like you have to uh, change the point system. Well, it was great having EJ Raddick. It was great getting into a lot of hockey. We got a lot of tweets to get to. The ones we didn't get to today, make sure you send them again tomorrow because we'll have a little bit more time. We want to have a guest because I'm a lot of a lot of conversation because this is about you and I want to make sure you guys get a chance uh, to talk. Just two games tonight, seven o'clock. The Hurricanes home uh, for the Stars. Bad loss by the Hurricanes over the weekend, blowing a three-one lead, falling in overtime to Chicago, and then at nine o'clock tonight, the Flames against the Blues. The Blues in the conversation is the best team in the NHL. The Islanders took care of them over the weekend, so things getting exciting. Lots to discuss, lots to get into. So tweet at me at Don Lagreca hashtag Game Misconduct. Give me your thoughts about the Olympics. Give me your thoughts about an American Mount Rushmore, and we'll try to get to as many as we can coming up tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Back with you again on Tuesday. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. Thanks for listening to the Game Misconduct podcast. Looking for more Don LaGreca? Hear him on the Michael K. Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN in New York and worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.